Um, yeah, how many? Who listens to this? And um, it's apart from my mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mum. Hopefully, you. Welcome back to the Voices in Japan podcast. Excitement continues to build for the 2019 Rugby World Cup, which kicks off on September 20th. Games will be held at 12 locations across the country, with the final match taking place on November 2nd in Yokohama. The popularity of the sport jumped and has continued to grow following Japan's 2015 victory over South Africa in what has been called the greatest World Cup shock ever. There's been a lot going on in the media here in Japan in the build up to this World Cup, which Japan is hosting. A lot of、uh, commercials and TV programs are focusing on the World Cup, and there's even a Japanese drama about a rugby team. A friend from Sapporo who is originally from New Zealand, Jamie Coventry, joins this episode, which is two parts, to give his insights on rugby in Japan. Jamie is the manager and a former player and coach of the Hokkaido Barbarians, who are the number one ranked club team in the country and also three time winners of the All Japan Championship. He also runs a rugby agency which represents New Zealand players in Japan's top league. And in part one of the episode, Jamie tells us about his own experience coming over to Japan, playing the sport. Uh, the type of rugby that is played in Japan, his thoughts on how the Rugby World Cup will play out with Japan as the host, and much, much more. So, on to the episode. Back to、uh, Voices in Japan.、Uh, I'm here, of course, with Ben, as always, and this is Burke. And、uh, we have a special guest today, Jamie. Please say hello, Jamie, to everyone. G'day, everyone. Jamie here from Sapporo. Nice to,、uh, nice to have you on the podcast. And actually, we were just talking、uh, because summer is、uh, kind of starting to wind down a little bit, but、uh, you were just overseas. You, uh, you just uh, went home for a little while and came back, you were saying? Yeah, yeah, just went back to、uh, see family. I、um, obviously lived here a long time and I miss out on a few、uh, family occasions. So,、uh, there's one, one I didn't want to miss out for. So, I went back and、uh, went to my sister in law's 50th. Well, it was a good time. Everyone was there. So, yeah, ticked all the boxes. And, nice.、Yeah. Back to NZ, right? Yeah, back to NZ, back to Hamilton. 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 What's that place、But、like again? I remember you said it was a, a great place to visit if anyone wants to go to New Zealand. Yeah, it's one of those places if you're from, you love it. You know, I grew up there, every corner there's a memory.、Um, but yeah, if you were just there on holiday, you'd probably want to get out of town pretty quick. <laughs> ben, have you ever been to New Zealand? I've never been to New Zealand. Obviously, New Zealand,、uh, there was a huge boom about New Zealand in the US after the Lord of the Rings movies and everything. Uh, and, the, and then after coming to Sapporo, just meet a lot of people from New Zealand. So I've always wanted to go there. But have you been there? No, I, I think it's the same like in England. We had a big boom where <clears throat> just everyone wanted to go just because of the adventure、mm. idea of New Zealand.、Yeah. People wanted to like skydive and、mm. scuba diving, scuba、mm. diving, bungee jumping is not really big out there. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And because it's so far from England, too, it's just 
considered as this really exotic island that people want to go to. But yeah, I've never, never been there, mm. but uh, yeah, I definitely do want to go just to experience that outdoorness, mm. you know. Yeah. So you said you've, you lived in like a few places in Japan. Maybe you're saying, where, where have you Yeah, been? I originally came to Japan when I was 21. I lived in Yamaguchi. There was a very brief time. I was there for three months on a ski field called uh, Osorokan Ski-jo. And uh, early 90s, it was quite common for university students in New Zealand to come over and work on ski fields. So you just sort of... Um, like chair like lifts? Yeah, chairlifts or, yeah. or rental ski, that sort of thing. Uh, you could do your OE uh, and you go back to New Zealand what's, what's with... An, what's an OE? Oh, sorry, your over, we call it an OE in New Zealand. Overseas experience. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so... What is that? <laughs> <laughs> is that part of like a school curriculum or something? No, it's or? not. No, okay. no. It's just what we call getting out of New Zealand oh, okay. to, oh, yeah, to right, see right. the world. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. So I think, most... I think, in, well, England, we call it a gap year. Yeah. Like after like college that. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We even do it after... We graduate. Usually you do it after you graduate. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's still quite common, but with the way visas and, and things have changed around the world, it's not quite as um, common as it used to be. But I would say 90% of the people I grew up with or went to high school with left New Zealand after they graduated university. Why, why is that? Why would you leave New Zealand? It seems like such a beautiful country to well, to be I think it's because it's so it's isolated. It is it is a wonderful country to live in and grow up in, and it's um, you know the economy's been humming there for the last ten years, and it's it's great. But um, it is isolated, and you know we always have this you know fascination of what's out there. So most people go off and travel around Europe or live in Europe, live in um, live in London. Make some money and then do their do their traveling. Or Australia, of course. Right? A lot of Kiwis go to Australia. Yeah, a lot of Australia. Yeah, Vancouver, America. Oh, sorry, uh, Canada and America. But so that was uh, your first time coming over was when you were twenty one. That's right. In yeah. Yamaguchi. Yeah, Yamaguchi. Yeah. So I lived there for three months. I loved it, and uh, at the end of it, I got asked if I wanted to stay on, and um, they offered me a job in Niigata, uh, working on a, a flower farm, a nursery. So uh, it was a bit different, but I wasn't ready to go back to New Zealand. So I, I took up the offer and um, ended up working for nine months uh, at a place called uh, Ishizuki Noen, which is a um, yeah. So we grew azaleas basically, which is a type of flower. So my job was just <laughs> spraying, um, uh, weeding, uh, replanting, uh, and then preparing them into the boxes for, for market day. These wow. massive buses would turn up, uh, not, um, sorry, flower trucks would turn up, would have to stack them. And yeah, so it was an interesting life. Um, most of the people I worked with were 60 to 65, 65-year-old uh, Obachans. Uh, people you were working with? Yeah, my, 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 my um, co-workers were all elderly women. So yeah. you were like the youngest there? <laughs> I, was the, I was the youngest there by 40 years at least, yeah. Uh, and there was one other Kiwi there as well. Um, uh, so, yeah, we worked, we worked hard. We worked six days a week, uh, eight to six every day, and we collected 5,000 yen. Uh, a day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, so it wasn't big money. Yeah. Like where was uh, room and board and everything? Yeah. Yeah. Stuff? So I lived with a, 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 um, an extended Japanese family. So there was, uh, the mother and father. The father was also our boss and they had three children. Um, grandma, grandfather also lived in the house and a great grandmother. So I sort of had a, 
a semi-attached uh, apartment to to the main house. I had all my meals uh, with the family and always, you know, socialised with them at night. Yeah, so it was so a, that so that five thousand yen was just all kind of money that you could spend on whatever you wanted. Yeah, you didn't yeah, have yeah, any yeah, other, yeah. Other five thousand yen a day, so yeah. whatever. Yeah, whatever it worked yeah. out. It wasn't wasn't much, but for someone who was twenty one and was looking for a unique yeah, experience, it was pretty pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. So, so after you finished your your flower picking career, <laughs> you, you you went back to New Zealand. Yes, I did. Finished and, my degree. Yeah, got my teaching English certificate, um, and I had just uh, applied to to do the JET program, oh, and I was accepted. You got on. I got I, on. I got rejected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but got on. You got on. Okay. Right? Yeah, I did it. Yeah. But after I was actually here, I applied. I'd fly back for an interview and everything. But yeah, I did okay. the JET program too. So how did that work out for you? Did well, well, I got accepted, uh, but just by chance, I was walking down the main street of Hamilton, and I bumped into a friend I played a lot of rugby with when I was uh, at high school and and, and uh, early early years after school and that was Logan Muir and um oh, so you guys have been friends since you were like 14 14 years mm, old wow. yeah our schools used to have a big rivalry as well Matamata College which Logan went to in my school Hamilton Boys High School so Logan Matamata was only a small country school but they were very good at rugby and um uh, mine was a, the largest city city school, um, but yeah, Madame always strong, always intense battles. So I knew Logan from back then. For those that don't know, could you just briefly a couple sentences? Who who is Logan? Just uh, what's, what's he doing now? So. Yeah, so Logan's still in Sapporo. Um, I played a lot of rugby with Logan once I came over here, but he runs uh, a couple of CrossFit uh, gyms in the city. Yeah, yeah, because we talked about CrossFit on here. So yeah, he's mm. the he's the guy who. Uh, Big guy, physically, yep. just like you, and uh, yeah, he's uh, running the Jack. CrossFit gyms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for comparing me to Logan. <laughs> <laughs> you won't like that at all. <laughs> I just told him what I was up to, and he said, are you still playing rugby? Which I was, I was playing locally um, in the Waikato province, and uh, he said, yeah, yeah well, why, don't, why don't you knock the jet program on the head and come over and play for the Barbarians, and you'll, you've got a certificate, you'll be able to pick up work in the city. So yeah, I yeah I I didn't think twice about it. The chance to play rugby over here was, you know, too good to too good to be true, really. So and the barbarians are so uh, yeah the the Hokkaido Barbarians is the rugby club um, uh, that we played for. So that was established in 1975, and they have a long history with New Zealand players. Um, I think originally back in 1983 there was a couple of um, uh, Hokkaido students that were looking for a, a place to Hokkaido University students that were looking for a, a, um, a team to play in and they joined and sort of sh- showed them a few things that we do back in New Zealand as far as training and, and game plans and that sort of thing so it sort of developed from there and basically from that time on um, the, the club has always had uh, two to three foreigners usually Kiwis playing for the club um, yeah, so uh, I had the opportunity to join that team when I was 25. And yeah, I came here, um, quickly picked up English teaching work because that was 1998. Was still a lot of English language schools. The industry was probably a lot stronger than it is now. The boom. Yeah, the boom, yeah, yeah, yeah. So within two weeks, I had a full time job at uh, ELS, which I loved. So it was um, just. Uh, 
perfectly set up for me. I had my rugby in the weekends and then I had my English teaching during the week. Are they like a professional team? Or like the Barbarians are not professional, no. We are a, um, it's a club side. So in Japan rugby, there's basically three sort of divisions or levels. There's the, the top league, which is all professional. Uh, then there's university rugby and then there's club rugby. Um, but the Barbarians are, are, are very strong. We um, always probably been the strongest club in Hokkaido, but over the last ten years, we've we've really developed and um, we've uh, been the number one ranked uh, club side in Japan for the last three seasons. So we've we've come a long way. Uh, we have our own grounds now out at Josanke, and uh, we play there. Um, every Sunday, so it's still very grassroots. We 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 play on a Saturday, and train on a Sunday because most most people are still working. They either work for uh, a pharmaceutical company uh, that that um, employs quite a few rugby players, um, but there's also teachers and policemen and everything's from everyone's from different walks of life. Uh, but it's it's still very much a social um, rugby club. Yeah, I was just <clears throat> looking online a little bit, and it seems like. Is, uh, I guess the team itself is playing there, but there's also like youth game yeah. and stuff. Like yeah, that. we have about 80 juniors. Those juniors are, are aging, sorry, range in age from five to 15. Usually at about 15, you go off and play your high school rugby. And then maybe after that, they'll come back to the club. But yeah, we have really good juniors. Um, probably the, the success of the Japan side in 2015, when they did so well at the World Cup, beat South Africa, it really sort of, um, shone the light on rugby in Japan. So we had a probably 20, 30% increase in numbers after that year. Um, and we've been able to retain them. Um, so there is a little bit of a, a rugby, not a little one, a big rugby bubble going on, um, not just at our club, but throughout Japan, I think. The excitement of having the World Cup here this year. Yeah, um, yeah so we have, the, the club is made up of the junior teams. So, yeah, as I said, 70, 70 kids, boys and girls. And then we have three uh, men's teams, senior teams. So an A, B and a C team. And it's our A team that plays in the Hokkaido Championship then the East Japan Championship, and then they go on to be playing the All Japan Championship. So that's the team Logan and I and all these Kiwis have played in, played for um, over the last 30 years. Yeah. So from mm. that you're playing rugby, how did, like, how long you played for, and then now you are coaching the team or managing the team? Yeah. Like Hokkaido Bardo. Yeah. The second time I came back in 19, uh, sorry, 2009. <clears throat> I uh, came back as a club manager, but I guess my first initial um, job I got into was coaching. Yeah, so I coached the A team for seven seasons, um, and uh, uh, after that, a, a women's team was um, established about five years ago now. So um, I stepped in and, and started to coach that side, um, and we've sort of grown our our. our Ladies' numbers from about four to five to about 13, 14 players now. So, so this is like just a women's only team. Yes, well. it's a seven. Yeah, we it's a seven aside team. We have a very good uh, rugby rugby sevens. Rugby sevens. Yeah, yeah. we have a very good um, sevens t- tournament or sevens series here in Japan. It's called the Taiyo Seme Cup, and there's twelve teams that participate in that, and all of them have foreign players. So we also have about five Kiwis or Aussie girls playing for us each year. 
So that's another part of my job now. Yeah. Is to, to so you, you bring these, is it all the foreign players you, you bring over? Is that your Yeah, job it's my job well? to recruit them, find, yeah. find uh, players that are, um, both have the ability to play here, but also, um, you know, would fit well into the team and Japan society and that, that sort of thing, the culture of the club. And do, do they get paid, those players that you bring over? They do, yeah, yeah. So they get looked after as, as far as, um, accommodation is concerned, a small salary. And then they're also expected to, you know, get into the community and, community and teach English or do something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they, they too also have their, their weekdays mainly <clears throat> free, often, often going to the gym, but, most of the rugby is played on the weekend. So they're not they're not full time rugby players. No, no, not really. Uh we try to fill their their um their weeks as much as we can. So they might do um a couple of morning sessions, but they certainly have quite a bit of time during the week to um yeah, to work as well. Have you had any instances where people get over here and do not adjust well to the culture? Or you guys really take care of I'm sure you guys put a lot of effort to make sure they're comfortable and everything. But uh, Yeah, to be honest, I would say 95% of, of guys come over here and love it. And I think since 1983, I think there's been about 70 foreign, uh, New Zealanders or Australians that have played for the club. And I think almost half of them have married um, locally. And they're either still in the city or somewhere in Japan or have, or have gone back to their uh, home country. So, um, I, I would say most people stay at least a year. Um, uh, sorry, at least a couple of years. Uh, and, and very few have, have, um, got here and left a couple of, a couple of occasions, but that was more their circumstances than, than not enjoying the club. Do, do any of them like go on to become professional players in, in Japan or if they go back to New Zealand, can they become pro? Cause they're, it's pretty high level, right? Um, <clears throat> or are there any, any players that play professional in, in, in the Japan leagues? If they come young enough, um, we have one player that played for us about six years ago, Mataki Kafatolu. He came over here, um, as a 19 year old. Played two seasons for us, went back, and now he's in the Wellington ITM Cup side that were the New Zealand champions last year. So, yeah, if they come at a young age, um, it can be sort of like a, a good gap year for their rugby. You know, they get to appreciate um, sort of what they got back home as far as coaching and that sort of thing. So, occasionally they'll go back and do well in New Zealand. Um, and we've had about five players um, in the last five years that have gone on to top league as well they've gone off and played for um yeah various top league teams around the country so it can be a stepping stone to a higher level if they prepared to if they come here and 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 focus on rugby and and, and play well how how would you compare the standard of rugby between new zealand and japan obviously like new zealand is probably the best rugby nation in the world new zealand all blacks mm. so compare that to japan like where do they come in in terms of world standards would you say i think in the last <clears throat> 10 years japan rugby has really improved a lot and there's been a massive influence not just from new zealand but south africa as well and australia um there is a lot of good coaching here um 
at top league, at top league level. So you're talking about um, coaches that have, have won World Cups and, and uh, coached international sides. So yeah, who's, who's that coach that you got, that Japan had in the last World Cup? He coaches England now. Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Eddie Jones coached Suntory for about four or five seasons, I think. Robbie Deans, who's coached both the All Blacks and Australia's here. Jake White, who won a um, World Cup with South Africa. Wayne Smith, who won a, a World Cup with the All Blacks, um, and then there's there's various other uh, coaches that have uh, coached at Super Rugby level. So that influence on the game has been, yeah, quite tremendous. And there's also been a lot of exchanges now where uh, Japanese high school and university and top league players go over to New Zealand quite often. They go into New Zealand academies or they go into New Zealand provincial wider training groups. And they get very good coaching from a young age. And you've seen the influence of that in um, quite a few universities and especially the top league um, standard as well. Um, I have a brother that used to play for Toyota. That was in the late uh, 1990s. And, you know, at that time, Top league was about the same level as New Zealand club rugby. So your, your brother was in Japan too. Yeah, yeah, he played for, for three seasons for Toyota. Yeah. yeah, I thought that. And was he ever here as well too? Because in the website or something online for barbarians, or somebody kind of looked like you too. That was not. Your yeah, brother. that would have been probably yeah Richard. Richard and Tom. I have two brothers, oh, okay. and they were pretty good rugby players in their time. Uh, Richard played here professionally, and and Tom is a professional rugby player now. And uh professional coach in New Zealand uh, but they've both come to Sapporo a lot in fact both of them are coming over for the World Cup to, oh nice yeah so you guys got tickets of course yeah got yeah. tickets yeah, yeah. for got, both, both the games got both Sapporo games and then there's the the uh, Scotland Japan game which is building up to be a, a pretty important game for Japan I think if things go to plan they will play uh, Scotland in the last pool game and if they win that they'll go on to the quarter final which is something Japan's never done before going to the quarter what, final what do you World think Cup. their chances are very good yeah. if you look at their PNC performances they just beat what, what, sorry what is PNC oh sorry uh, the Pacific <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's a lot of uh, rugby lingo I'm yeah, talking not, here that's probably not, not big following. rugby fans especially, yeah. especially I mean, I'm, get, I'm trying to uh, learn more about it as yeah. the uh, World Cup is coming up here, but yeah, PNC. Yeah, PNC. so PNC is the Pacific Nations Cup, okay. which comprises Fiji, Tonga, Japan, Canada, and America. Yeah, so America has a team. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I knew they had a team, but obviously, it does not get uh, hardly as much attention as it probably should. But, mm. but yeah, they do have a team. So yeah. that's the so that's the PNC. Yeah, PNC. So that's uh, been used as a um, well. It usually goes every year, but this year it's um, it's become a little earlier. So it's a lead into the Rugby World Cup. Japan had three very good victories over Fiji, Tonga, and USA in the weekends. The Japan team, like, uh, if you kind of look at the team, doesn't necessarily all look like necessarily native Japanese, or how do those teams work? Because, I mean, obviously everyone on the team is not... Are they Japanese citizens, or are they just playing for the national team? I think some players, like, gain citizenship, and then they're playing for the national team. So how many... Uh, players on the team are 
have some kind of form influence or blood or something? Are there not that many or are there a few? I would or? say probably 30 to 40% of the team are foreign. Um, but in saying that, you look at someone like uh, Michael Leach, for example, who's the captain of the team. He's been here since he was 15. There's there's quite a few examples of like that. They've graduated high school, university here. They all speak uh, fluent Japanese and they are really a product of Japan rugby. So they yeah. do, even though they're not Jap- Jap- uh, fully Japanese blooded, they are a reflection of Japan of the Japanese rugby system. Um, most of the players are like that. Uh, even uh, I think to qualify to play for Japan now, you have to have lived in Japan for five years. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those guys now have Japanese citizenship as well. They're married here locally as well and have children. So, um, yeah. So they don't have to like become a Japanese national to represent. No, you them. don't. You just need to, uh, it, it's a world rugby law. So if you have played in a country for five years, then you now qualify to play for that country. Yeah. Okay. And five years is quite a, quite a good stint. Um, there would probably, I would probably say, to, I'm only guessing a little bit, but I think maybe only 25, 30% of the foreigners in that team would come into that category, having played top league for five years and now are playing for Japan. I think most of them, like Michael, would have either come through high school or university here. So, So, so Michael Leach, he went to high school in Sapporo. Yes, right? Yamanote High School. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, what's I mean, what's your relationship with him? Uh, well, I knew Michael when he was uh, when he was here, um, and yeah, he was always a an ambitious young kid. Um, he, he he was very little when he was at high school. You wouldn't think he would grow into the the guy he's become. Um, so. Yeah, he, he played three years for Yamanote and then went on to Tokai University and then on to Toshiba and, and Japan rugby fame. So I just knew, knew him as a young boy and, and, um, just occasionally watched his, his games. Um, and uh, he, when he started, um, playing for Toshiba, um, I be, I became his uh, rugby agency more through chance than anything. Um, my brother, Tom, who I mentioned before, he was the Waikato Chiefs um, forward coach at the time, and they were looking for a, a, a flanker from offshore. Um, and I suggested Michael because um, he just played very well at the 2011 World Cup. Um, they went and had a look at a few of his games, and they liked him. Um, so... I was just a Facebook friend with Michael at the time, <laughs> and I just email and say, "Michael, I've got a you know my brother's looking for a flanker, and you fit the bill. Um, I really like the way you play. Are you keen?" And he was like, "Hell yeah, 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 <laughs> let's do it." So um, I sort of helped that come to fruition that 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 gig, and then um, he was looking for someone to sort of represent him in Japan as well. So that that led on to that and um yeah we've been i've been sort of help manager managing his career i guess um ever since yeah so did he come over to japan like when he was 15 to play rugby yeah he came over on a, on a burnside high school exchange one of the new zealanders that played for the barbarians back in 1983 he was now um coaching at burnside high school and he introduced michael to the yamanote uh, rugby exchange program so he came in and um, yeah. So, so Yamanote is a very strong rugby high school. In Hokkaido, they are. Yeah, they, yeah. Uh, 
Um, so he, he didn't intend to stay here forever. He thought he'd stay a year and or two years, but <clears throat> sort of the, the culture and the rugby sort of resonated with him and he, he picked up the language quickly and um, yeah, he saw an opportunity to maybe stick around long term and play for Japan. And, now he's yeah. the captain. Now he's the <laughs> captain, yeah. Not bad. Mm. Going back to your own uh, hmm. transition over here, when you first came over here and started playing, uh, I mean, did you feel like there was an immediate difference or did you notice any huge differences between playing rugby here? Yeah, I sure did. Home? Yeah, the, the tempo of the game was just super intense here, really quick. Um, I'm a, I was a, a flanker, so basically my job is to, to tackle and, and to follow the ball. Um, so when uh, the, the, the backs attack, I'm supposed to be there pretty quickly and to help secure that ball. Um, and in New Zealand, you can sort of keep up with, with play and, and, um, the rucks are re- the ruck tempo is reasonably, reasonably slow and you can sort of do your job, um, quite effectively. But I found coming over here, the ruck speed. So the ball coming out after the tackle was really quick. And I just could not in my first game. Uh, keep up with the player. I didn't even know where the ball was going to be. Couldn't sort of anticipate where I should be. Mm. So yeah, it was, it was quite frustrating. But it took a, you know, it didn't probably took half a season to get used to that. I, I kind of realized, you know, I didn't have to be at most of those rucks anymore. <laughs> and, uh, probably, uh, something I had to develop about my game was sort of running with the ball. Um, you know, attacking and trying to stay on your feet and attack and, um, yeah, so it made me develop some skills that I, I didn't really have. Um, yeah, just to sort of help the team and to sort of, yeah, fit, fit into the team better. I had to sort of cha- change the way I played. Were there any like differences in the way even training or practices were run? Cause I've heard like, uh, you know, in some sports and maybe even rugby as well, sometimes I'll just focus more on discipline and I'll do, Something very repetitive yep. for a very long time. Mm. Whereas Drills. overseas, like yeah, drills. yeah, overseas, I really focus on what needs to be focused on. Yeah, was that was there some of that? As yeah, well? there there was that. That sort of still exists a little bit at high school and, and university rugby over here as well. Um, they do tend to train for a long time. Uh, two to three hours. Now they only train on Saturdays, so you can kind of understand why they would want to put as much as they can into into their trainings, but. Um, and they, they do at that time, they sort of, they did a lot of drill work, but they didn't sort of coach the fundamentals. Like they might, um, practice a passing drill for 20 minutes, but they're actually not coaching the drill. They're not actually coaching the pass. You mean they're just like telling you to do it? Yeah. Telling you to do it rather than how to do it and why you should be doing it mm. that way. Yeah. Um, so the, the, you, the quality of the pass, wasn't actually improving that much. But uh, luckily, um, the, on this, with the Barbarians Exchange, they, they do listen to the, the, the Kiwis and the team and sort of listen to what we have to say. And, and um, they sort of adapted our, uh, adopted our style and, and let us do some coaching. So um, we were, I think we we're quite influential in the way we trained and how, uh, how to play the game. Um, yeah, after probably one season here, you could see how other opposition played and, um, what we were good at and you sort of make a, a game plan around our strengths. So 
yeah, that, that, that was the beauty of the barbarians. I think if we had gone to another team, we would have just been told to, to train and run and do your job. But here we were sort of listened to and we were able to be quite influential on, on things like that. Does the national team also play more of a Japanese style or is their style kind of fit into what's regular for for rugby? Yeah, I think under Eddie Jones, they really played a Japanese style, which was, which was um, again, going back to quick tempo Japanese style. But that's it doesn't work against all teams. And I think now if you look at the way Jamie coaches the team. Uh, who's, who's it? Who's oh, sorry, the, the, the Japan coach is Jamie Joseph. He's a former so All Black. So you weren't referring back to yourself. No, not myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I have the ability to coach the Barbarians, but probably not any level above that. Um, in the modern day, the, the Japanese have become um, a lot bigger and stronger. Um, and obviously you've got the influence of the foreigners in there as well. So they, they can sort of hold their own with most teams now. Like 10, 15 years ago, they would have got dominated size-wise. But, you know, if you look at uh, Fiji, Tonga, the, the Americans, um, those are those are big players and they certainly weren't getting dominated. So they're, they're able to play a lot more overall st- strong game. They can uh, maul and... Um, Hold, uh, sort of hold on to the ball for longer than they have been in the past. And with the Rugby uh, World Cup coming, uh, do you see this as like a very uh, obviously it's going to be a good thing for Japan, but uh, there's going to be a huge influx of uh, foreigners coming to Sapporo as well. And mm. How do you see that going? Do you think the city's ready for that? Or, I mean, one thing that was obviously in the news is uh, you know. Uh, some of the hot Japanese hot springs mm. have decided to be a little bit more legal, right. for example, for the tattoos mm. and stuff, mm. uh, just because there is going to be this huge influx of foreigners. But it's going to be a good test case for next week, uh, next year's Olympics as well. Mm. But, uh, do you see any uh, possible uh, friction or problem there with so many foreigners coming in at one time for to enjoy yeah. the World Cup? I don't think so. I hope not. I was here in 2002 when we had the, the Soccer World Cup and England played Argentina and there was, you know, all this um, media about probably hooligans coming into the city. Yeah, and yeah, I think course. thousands of police were ordered up from Tokyo to line the streets of Sapporo for these for these hooligans that never turned up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, it, it'll be the same for, for the rugby. I think it'll be um, – the foreigners will embrace the culture here. I think they'll love the service. I think they'll they'll probably get into the bars and restaurants and that sort of life and sort of really, um, you know, enjoy the Japanese culture. And I think, you know, there's uh, – tourism is a big part of Japan now, especially Sapporo. So I think, I think we'll be able to cater – for everyone it's only one weekend so it, it i think we'll put on a good show and i i really think everyone will revel in um yeah japan japan life are you guys uh, being asked to do anything uh specific uh help out in any way for the world cup yeah our, our club actually has quite a, a a big role to play in hosting tonga so all the the four teams that play up here tonga fiji australia and England, so, <laughs> sorry, Ben. Uh, all have their training bases. Yeah, so England are only in uh, for a very short time, but yeah. you can see them training at Tsuki Summer if you like. Oh, yeah. Nice. So you're going to be like helping out with. We're Tsukisama. looking after Tonga. Well, they'll be based at our grounds in Josanke. Yeah. So they'll be there, I think, for about just a little bit over a week. 
So um, yeah, everything's full time out there trying to get the ground. And Are you going to like show them around, take them out around town? And uh, they'll have their own liaison officers and and that sort of thing to um, to take care of. We just have to sort of prepare the ground and prepare the um, utilities that go with the ground, sort of um, to make sure that they've got everything they need to prepare. Yeah, um, yeah most of it's pretty much in place now. Um, How about when the, when the All Blacks? Come down to Japan. Do you have any involvement with them? Personally, no, no. Only as a fan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but one of one of my high school mates, a uh, guy that was in the first fifteen um, together, and uh, he also played for the the Hokkaido Barbarians back in the day. His name's Scott McLeod. He's now the the defence coach for the All Blacks. So he's probably our our um, biggest claim to fame is having Scott, a former Barbarian. So he'll be over here with the World Cup team, so that's pretty exciting for us too. Have you met yeah. a lot of the, the All Blacks players before, like the, any any of the, the big players? Um, I've met Dan Carter last year, which was a buzz. Oh, yeah. Right. Where did you meet him? Um, he was doing a, a MasterCard um commercial commercial yeah and in, in japan in japan with michael leach and i just happened to be there sort of um this helping out with michael and um yeah yuki yamada another japanese player and uh, dan carter were there so i got to spend about half a day with them which was very very cool nice guy very nice guy yeah yeah and john kernel was the other one so when i was a, a young boy uh my hero growing up was john kerwin and <laughs> Uh, in 2011, he was the Japan Rugby World Cup coach. So, um, he came up to Sapporo once on a, a sort of, um, a sort of a meet and greet kind of thing, just to try and touch base with all the provinces and, and meet people. So we were able to host him for a couple of days, which was, yeah, another, another superstar I got to meet, which was pretty cool. Well, we hope you've enjoyed what Jamie has shared with us so far. And please be sure to tune in next week uh, when he talks about safety in the sport of rugby, what it's like running a sports agency here in Japan in the rugby world, uh, more about his personal experience uh, living here in Sapporo, and much, much more. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please share it with your friends and also leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see everyone again next time.